When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. There's a lot. You know, Kevin, Kevin kind of has grown up with some old West Coast guys, you know, with, with Chili and some, some of that and Pat, you know. So we talk the same language pretty quick from that standpoint. Now, obviously, we're trying to figure out what our, our guys do best and how we're going to get Thielen and Diggs and Rudy. And, you know, we got to figure those things out. How do we get them the ball? How do we do what's best for our football team? So that's what we're doing every day. Uh, Gary Kubiak, Vikings head coach offense. That's what he is. Uh, Purple Daily today, TCL Broadcast Studios on the all-new Score North is Judd Zolged, Matthew Collar out back on Monday, Chad Graff of The Athletic uh, by my side for the next two hours, Jonathan Harrison producing. Uh, Chad, I want to uh, get to the Vikings training camp. Oh, the juicy Schedule stuff. announcement, yes, because this came out this morning. And now most of this is, I mean, training camp. <sighs> You've picked the right time to start to cover football. Uh, I don't disagree, but my first thought was only because I'm not at Winter Park every day. Uh, yes, but you know, I mean, now you get. I've got so I've got uh, uh, da, 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 sixteen practices now. Yep. I look at the schedule. They start a uh, training camp practices open in Egan on July 26th. It's now. This is the first time I've ever seen this. It's now the majority, if not all, of the practices are 2 p.m. to 4:25. So that special teams thing is now gone. The two a days over. Yeah, but I mean, they so so the two a days have been done for a long time. But you're right; it used to be um, special teams at like 10, right? Yep. It, it was what special happened? teams. You go out there. The, the whole, it was such a drag because as a reporter, the real practice is until two. Yep. You're out there at nine with this little sheet of paper in your hands where you're just crossing off numbers. All right, 86 is here, 87 is yep. here, 43 is here. They walk through special teams, walk through like a halfback dive, and then they call it quits for five hours to go inside and go to meetings and installations and lifting and all that stuff. And now it's over. Are we doing special teams practice just not accessible now? Is that is that the new thing? Which which. You will not be complaining about. I get that, no, no. but I would think that they're still going to be doing some type of special teams. Period. Are they just now saying, you know what? Don't even bother. You, you don't think that the Vikings are all set special teams? Never have any woes there. You seem a slight bit concerned. I, I think that they're actually just going to loop it into the general practices. Okay, which you know will be a little bit interesting as they're uh, welcoming in a new special teams coordinator, a, a part-time kicking coach. Uh, there's a lot going on with the Viking special teams, and it seems it will be all thrown into the one practice in the afternoon that fans can attend. You see, I thought that the key here m- might be that they basically are 
publishing a schedule uh, for the median fans that also applies to Zim, and that they've told Zim, don't worry about special teams anymore. Like, we don't want you watching our kickers. Nate Kading will watch the kickers. New special teams coach will. You know what, Mike? All you have to worry about is defense, so don't even worry about it. Don't you, you don't show up. The media won't show up. The fans won't show up. We'll do all of the special teams under a, a secrecy that also won't include the head coach. You know who perhaps should consider this then is Matt Nagy, the Bears coach, as he's out there asking for Augusta-level silence for his nine kickers to proceed to uh, go two of eight from, from 42-yard field goals during rookie minicamp. Since you went there, I will ask this, because the Bears under Matt Nagy had a very nice first year. Very impressive. Seems to be a very um, smart offensive coach. What in this offseason has he been doing? <laughs> like, can you answer that? This, this whole kicking thing, I thought Zimmer was bad, and I know that Tice was bad. Tice used to, in training camp, Tice would try and uh, challenge his kickers by before they went to attempt field goals in training camp practices, walking in front, directly in front of them, basically, as if they're saying, oh, my God, the head coach is watching. I better not. And I was always like, well, that really seems backwards to me. And Zim, we know, struggles. I He he hates, my, my contention is he hates quarterbacks and kickers. But what is Matt Nagy? Augusta-level silence. Uh, this whole thing of, I get it. Cody Parkey didn't work. He doink, doink, doink. He's gone. Okay, I'm fine with that, Chad Graff. What the hell is he doing? He like, is, why are you doing this? You know what's going to happen. He's the younger offensive version of Mike Zimmer, where these guys who are so warped by just years of of being around football, of living football, of doing nothing but watching film and being on a football field, just can't comprehend that uh, these kickers, you know, may need something other than uh, immense pressure and people breathing down their yes. necks. It's just such a crazy way to handle this, too. When you think about the sample size, like you're giving these rookies who you fly all the way in for minicamp, you give them one kick from where everybody knows is the distance that the previous kicker, who is no longer here for this specific reason, missed from. And now, now you have the entire team, 90 men on the roster, standing around them in silence watching the GM, the coach, the assistant coaches, everybody just staring at them. And then I assume it just remains silent after they miss. I don't know what the reaction is after they miss, but I can't imagine uh, they're, they're hooting and hollering. And how is the silence productive? Because if they're really kicking That's the in a key thing. moment, it's nothing but noise. And they pipe in noise. Like, you go to any other practice, when the offense is out there, when the defense is out there, there's either music going or they're piping in noise. Yes. They're trying to make it as game-like as you possibly can. And then, except when the kicker comes in, it's the opposite of game-like scenario. The, the thing I don't get to is that why don't we, and, and I think more teams are now starting to go down this path, Chad, but why don't we accept the fact that that Kicker is not a football player. Like, it's not a football position. It's incredibly important, and so you need to maximize the abilities of that person and get the most from them. But a football coach, Nagy, Zimmer, go down Tice, go down that entire list, should have as little to do with these people as possible. Mm -hmm. Like, these are people, they're essentially, what's a fair term, golfers? Yeah, that's that's an analogy they themselves use all the time. Longwell, who was a great golfer himself, always talked about the fact that he swung his leg like it was a golf club. Right. 
So it, I find it hilarious that in 2019, when we're on to analytics and new age sports and uh, nap rooms, you go take a nap, <laughs> you go take a nap, and eliminating practice time because that's it's not as productive as we once thought, that so many of these guys are still treating kickers like it's 1956. And if you miss that kick, I'm going to be there. And there's, there's ramifications here. I... Let's evolve here. But put it this way. It's amazing that Mike Zimmer deserves applause for waiting until 2019 to hire a kicking coach. He's only, the Vikings will be like the third team. The Ravens have done it for a while. I think there might be one other. But the Vikings are going to be one of the very first teams with a kicking coach, not a special teams coordinator who, you know, one day has aspirations of being the offensive coordinator. Uh, not, you know, a guy who is a football coach who happens to be coaching special teams, but a guy who grew up kicking, who kicked in the NFL, who knows both the mental side of it and just what the swing is like. And yet the Vikings are somehow innovative in 2019 by hiring this. It's absurd. And they're the third, you said? The uh, third team? Yes. See, that's, that's remarkable to me. How do you not have every, I believe, Every National Hockey League team has what? A goalie coach, right? right? Yep. Because goalies are different. Kickers are weird. A lot of kickers are very weird. And that's fine. Again, it's a very specified job that has nothing to do with the actual sport. Every sport is that. You, goalies with hockey, you hire a putting guy. If, you, if you're a golfer, yeah. you, your putt is completely different in a whole other world than your drive. And there are different coaches who specialize in that. And yet, here we are in 2019 preparing for another NFL season where... These special teams coordinators will be tried and true football coaches whose background is in offense or defense. So the Vikings today uh, to announce their training camp dates and all that good stuff. Chad Graf sent out a five-page press release. Sure, dates are on here. Parking is on here because obviously this will be year two in Egan, and it's not the same as Mankato, where you could just sort of stroll on down to Mankato and eh, park in the Arby's parking lot and you'll be <laughs> fine. I want to uh, read you one section though. Oh boy. Because I think this is going to get a lot of reaction. And it's very interesting. Autographs. Okay, sure. <laughs> Big part of training camp, right? Of course. Go to training camp, get your favorite player. You know, yep. now, now it used to be when Adrian Peterson was coming off the field, they'd be yelling, Adrian, Adrian over here. And then it became, no, let's, let's have specified designated areas where you had to get a wristband and everyone stood in line. And we would see some days the line would be forming, you know, early in the morning. Yep. Practice wouldn't start till 1115 or so. <clears throat> I'll read this. New in 2019, daily autograph sessions with Viking players will be available for fans age 18 and under only. And will take place following a practice at approximately 4.30 p.m. on the TCO Stadium Concourse. The first 150 children in each line will receive a wristband, allowing them the opportunity to watch practice before entering the same line prior to the end of practice. One adult will be allowed to enter the line with every child in order (laughs) to ensure a parent or guardian as always present. Separate autograph opportunities with Vikings legends will be available to fans of all ages and will take place frequently throughout camp. The Vikings will also give away autographed items and team merchandise daily to adults. And then it goes on to say that a complete autograph schedule will be posted eventually. Vikings.com slash training camp soon. I'm not sure about you, but one, I love this. Outstanding. I think it's outstanding. Outstanding. And two, and two, if you're upset, if you're an adult, if you're my age, 49-year-old guy. I don't even know if I want to want to go here. There cannot be people I do. upset. I, I want to go here. Because if you are a 45-year-old, 35, 30-year-old guy, and you always got in this line, <laughs> and you were the guy 
who would sort of, you know, jostle and shove or do whatever you had to get to make sure that on running back day or quarterback day, you were in that line. And then you got your way to the front of the line and you got your signature and then you got to your house as quick as possible or your phone and put this thing on eBay. Mm-hmm. Which happened all the time this, at training camp. This is for you, baby. Yep. This is this is your day of reckoning. Too bad. <laughs> and the Vikings in this case are 1,000% right. I think yes. this is great. Autographs are for kids. They're not for adults. I'm tired of adults pushing all kids for foul balls at Target Field. This isn't even in the same stratosphere. That's what I was going to compare it to at first. Like it's, I don't want to say it's one thing to do this because still not great, but it's one thing if you're, you know, the jerk fan who's had six beers, pushes a kid out of the way, makes the catch, thinking you're a hot shot for catching the foul ball. You pocket the foul ball. Not a great look. Don't do that. However, that pales in comparison to turning a, a four-digit profit off of that foul ball you caught, which is what's going on when they're at the front of the line with their Sharpie wearing a Vikings jersey that you know is almost as old as they are. And then bringing it home, turning it around, and selling it for five hundred bucks—it's yeah. it's crazy. Exactly. Or the or when when th- those lines would become just absolutely massive because a bunch of adults mm-hmm. had to be in that line too. This is for kids. The Vikings have have done the right thing here. It's great. I am curious if anybody is upset. I would hope that you're right. I think I think you're wrong. I, I wish hope, I were right. I, would I think you are right. That you're right. I think people are actually going to be, my guess is that the Vikings are going to get pushback from people. Oh, I deserve, I'm a fan too. I deserve. <laughs> I've come into the autograph line yeah. for 20 years. And I think that the, I applaud you Vikings. You've done a lot of things through the years that I've questioned. Fair. I think rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, you've made some uh, PR merchandising marketing decisions that I've questioned. But today you got it right. The kids deserve this. I'm tired of adults in that line. I am tired of seeing adults trying to sell things. I'm most tired of seeing adults act like children. Sure. This is my big thing. Autograph lines or something. Adults act like children. And then they get upset. And then they swear. And then they push and shove or whatever the hell they do. This takes care of that. And and I love the fact that they said, if you're an adult with a kid, you can get in line. Yeah. You ain't getting an autograph. Well, and it's also so much cooler to see the kids' excitement, jumping up and down, holding, you know, the football that they just got signed or whatever, as opposed to, and we've seen these lines everywhere, you know, the person, whoever, you know, whatever, 45-year-old, tend-to-be white male, uh, has their exactly right. card signed, just turns around, shuts their binder, walks back because their binder's protecting it, off to eBay they go. And the, the other funny part of this is all of these autograph lines that I've seen, when the kids get to the front, Kids, more than autographs these days, they, they don't really care about the autographs. It's all about the picture. What kind of selfie can I get? Yep. Can I throw this on Instagram? Let me show my my friends that I met, Dalvin Cook. So I, I also think that that part of it's funny, too, that the kids get to the front of the line, and it's like, yeah, I mean, here's your Sharpie. Thanks for signing this, but really what I would love, can I just turn around and get a quick selfie with you? Yep, which I think players, if, if it's cool. allowed, don't mind. Yeah. I can't imagine how sick and tired professional athletes must be of a guy my age. You know, th- uh, putting a football or a football mm-hmm. card or a baseball in front of their face and being like, "Sign this for me." I would. That would be one thing well, that I would grow. I I don't blame athletes who draw a line. They're like, "Sorry, I'm not going to do that." I, I've seen it even at spring training or various places where athletes will only sign for kids, and then these are the adults that are really the issue. The ones that say, "Hey, kid, 
can you hold this ball and see if that guy will sign it? Which goes on as much as we would like to pretend it may not. And that's my one question about this. Are we going to get the adult that tries to pay the because kids are kids? Yeah. I, I offer you five or ten. If bucks. I'm a seventeen year old that gets offered yeah. twenty bucks to stand in line for an hour. Sign me up. Now, what happens? The the one thing this is not clear about is what happens if you are a young looking, you know, you get 20, ID'd. That, that's my question. Do you get ID'd? Do they say, "Hey, we're really sorry to do this, but can we see some ID?" The twenty-one year old does the opposite and gets a fake ID going the other way, so that now he can get in line. Yeah, it says eighteen. It'd be doable, right? I suppose. Yeah, it'd be doable. But you know what's going to happen is you know these adults who want the, you know, especially if it's I don't know Kirk Cousins or something. Sure, I could sell this. You know what they're going to do? They are going to work their hardest to try and pay off some kid, and the kid's going to take it. Like, hey, get Kirk Cousins sign sign it for me. What what a what a sad situation. Great move by the Vikings. I think it's you know didn't have to be done, but a move that goes a long way toward curbing everything we've talked about. But there are loopholes, and and I'm sure I'm sure someone will will do what you're talking about and exploit it. So in our uh, our show yesterday, Jonathan brought up the fact. I think it's the Eagles, correct, Jonathan, who have one practice. Yep, the Eagles are doing the Eagles and Seahawks are only only doing one public practice and charging for it. I think. Yep. Yeah, which means, by the way, if the rule is still the rule, that other teams can go scout that practice because the old because Daniel Snyder of the Redskins did this. This is probably ten years back. He charged to get into training camp practices, and the and the the gentleman's agreement in the league is. If I don't charge for my training camp practices, you can't come scout me. I won't scout you. Right. But if you charge, I, so I think the Redskins had a bunch of teams show up and pay <laughs> and had scouts walk in, which right. is a problem because they charge do a lot, for it. They do a lot of stuff. Uh, how close do you think we are to, especially as as more and more teams do what the Vikings have now done and leave college campuses, Chad? To like the Vikings being saying, ah, you know what? We'll do a a U.S. Bank Stadium practice day. That's it. Unfortunately, it's trending that way. I mean, the Vikings are, we were just having a Slack channel of the Athletic, of all of the NFL writers that we have covering every team. Lindsey Jones, our national writer, put in the Eagles story and said, I'm going to do a story about this. This is a ludicrous rule. Can everybody fill me in on what your team's rules are? And you would be amazed how many teams don't open every practice. I assume just because the Vikings have every practice open to the public that all of the teams had every practice open to the public. So many teams are half, five, six, seven open practices, charge money, charge parking, charge concessions. Unfortunately, I think that many are going that way. However, I think the one thing that can always curb things in the NFL is money. And if you're actually charging 20 bucks a ticket, like the Vikings are for a thousand of the tickets each day, yep, and you can do that day after day, I mean, what owner is going to say no to that kind of money? That's probably true. The, the one thing that I've thought is that it'll be a long time before they entirely shut the public out because the uh, corporate partners who show up, right? You want to make them as happy Gotta as possible. Got to have that Lando Lakes tent. Yeah, and they're paying, and they're paying the big bucks. Like individuals at twenty bucks a piece, because I'm take sure, leave. I'm sure the coaches would love to oh, take yeah. out the public. Oh yeah. It well, doesn't sound nice, but I'm sure uh, if you went to Zim tomorrow and said, hey, hey, Zim, you know all those people sitting on all those benches watching your practice? We're eliminating them. Mike would, I think he'd be the happiest guy on the face of the earth. Only he'd be the only thing that could make him happier is if you said the media is also gone and there will be no tweeting from them during practice of every injury and every play and every poor play by one oh, yeah. of your okay. precious defensive backs. That's probably true. Yeah, like uh, Rhodes. Every time Z- Xavier 
grabs his hamstring yeah. like he did in the was that the uh, Tuesday minicamp yeah. practice? I think I was telling Caller that day, like when we get to training camp, I think the rule for the media should just be like, hey. We don't need to tweet every time Xavier Rhodes appears to pop a hammy. Give him five plays. If he's still out, all right, that's that's newsworthy at that point. When, when he comes up grabbing his hamstring or his ankle and then is back on the field two plays later, still sort of hobbling around, making sure that people see, you know, look, I, I am hobbling around. I am gutting through this. Uh, that's a whole other thing. What's the current rule right now for the Vikings on tweeting from practices? From practices, from training camp, from training camp it's all wide all open. Training up. camp is the one time that you can't Kirk Cousins that. throws an interception. You can tweet it right away. The idea being that all these fans are there watching, 5,000 a day. Yep. They, if they can tweet it, so can the media. Yeah, I had one. Uh, so in his first year here, which would have been 2007 or eight, Garrett Allen had played some tight end for the Chiefs, and they lined him up at tight end in a practice in Mankato in front of thousands of people. And they said, you can't tweet this. And so we went and talked to Childress, and we're like, Brad, that'd be great, but 2,000 people just saw him play, and he's like, oh, okay, I guess so. Well, and it's so funny, the the football, tried-and-true football coaches who just have no appreciation for the fact that the fans can, from their phone, well, from the stands, from now. training camp, can document every single thing that happened. On video, which, which because as we all know, there's a certain time that the media can document things, uh, and then it ends. And right. I think the video ends basically after the individual stretching. portions of yeah. stretching. Right. Very, so, very basic, boring stuff. What's hilarious at training camp is you've got these intricate plays being run, <laughs> and they're they're looking at us to make sure that you know cameras are put away and phones aren't out. And meanwhile, and meanwhile, there's some guy in the fifth row of the stands with a with, with a better view than we have from the sideline taking you know video play by play all 22 video yeah we get nothing on the sideline all right let's take a break at tcl broadcast studios the show is purple daily let's come back with um clarification now on the pass interference replay challenge rule and my contention that this is going to be a cluster bleep but at least when it's a cluster bleep we'll know exactly why it's zolgad chad graf purple daily Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. The show is Purple Daily, TCL Broadcast Studios, The Athletics, Chad Graff with me until uh, 4 o'clock when it will be Mackie and Judd with Rami. And uh, Chad, in front of me, I have clarification from our uh, mutual friend Kevin Seifert of ESPN who does an outstanding job on the rules beat, which is a full-time job now, (laughs) Uh, with the headline being, National Football League finalizes uh, pass interference replay challenge rule for 2019. I will read you some of this, and then we can react accordingly to something that I think is going to be very interesting to watch. And I get, I get the end of that uh, Saints Rams game, the blown call. I I understand going in this direction, right? I guess the question after I read this is, how's it going to work? The NFL's competition committee finalized its new rule Thursday for reviewing pass interference, opting against several suggested tweaks, and upholding the wording owners originally approved in March. As a result, coaches will be able to challenge pass interference calls or no calls up until the two-minute warning of either half. In the final two minutes of each half and in overtime, on-site replay officials will be responsible for stopping the game to review pass interference as they are for all other reviewable plays. 
The rule will cover the 2019 season, after which owners will decide whether to extend, tweak, or eliminate it for 2020. Competition committee members concerned about excessive stoppages during the final moments of games floated the idea initially of prohibiting replay officials from stopping the game to review PIs. Instead, that responsibility would have remained with coaches, but a number of coaches pushed back on that idea, worried that it would impact their timeout strategy because challenges can be made only if a team, of course, has a timeout remaining. To address the concerns about stoppages, the committee has instructed replay officials to use a, and this is where where it gets delicious if you're us, has instructed replay officials to use, quote, stricter criteria, end quote, for stopping the game to review pass interference. In a video released on Twitter, the NFL said there must be clear and obvious evidence that a pass interference foul may or may not have occurred in order to stop the game for a review. Final paragraph. The committee will also allow Hail Mary plays to be reviewed according to the video as long as it is, quote, consistent with the guidelines for officiating the play on the field. I get why they're going down this path, but I just read you something that I think might make the catch rule look like an easy (laughs) interpretation. So I don't hate the general idea of the rule being that, Let's not stop within the two-minute warning for every little ticky-tack thing to analyze all of that, which was one of Mike Zimmer's main concerns when they were all debating this uh, in Arizona earlier this year. That all is well and good. In other words, with this rule, when if you're the Rams playing against the Saints and there's an obvious pass interference, then we can stop it. That, I think, was a sentiment a lot of coaches shared in there. However... The NFL is not very good, we have seen time and time again, at bringing a good idea in theory into practice on the field. So while I I, I think that the wording there um, makes sense and is easy to see why they're doing that, it just seems to me like this is just going to get even worse than it was before. Let's start with this. Hail Mary plays. Okay. People get grabbed on every one of those. So what is so so now? I'll, so to so, me, the the point of that was to avoid having the Seahawks Packers repeat. Yep, and that's all great. However, to your point, every single pass interference has something. And then help me here. Every hail mary has a pass so, interference. So on said hail mary play, what is clear and obvious evidence? Like what's that? That's, to me, at best, nebulous. Like, what's your threshold there? Because on Hail Mary plays, who's not grabbing whom? And where do we cross the line from? And what, what the, is clear is the, the problem I have with it. Like, if I have my arm on your shoulder, I mean, perhaps there's pass interference if I slightly push, but it, does it take a full arm extension? Is it a shove that is clear? Is it a light tap that slightly gets you out of the way as the ball is coming that is deemed queer like when you're analyzing these reviews and this was part of Mike Zimmer's problem at such a slow rate over and over everything is kind of queer is what I think they're hoping but then at the same time it almost seems like nothing is queer exactly and now let's take the next step so if you're a smart player and these guys are, are smart and they will practice this receivers are going to practice drawing what basically diving so if you're down by a touchdown and we got oh I don't know let's let's take a let's pick a time down by touchdown you're starting from your own 20 and there's 45 seconds left 
Well, my first thought now is going to be I'm going to start going driving the ball as the quarterback downfield as much as possible, not to complete passes, right? But so my Move the ball so, via DPI exactly because my receiver will have practiced against my defensive backs, selling to the booth and the officials that there was clear and obvious evidence of an egregious DPI. Right now, the only way to fix that, of course, would be for the referees to not call such DPIs. However, <laughs> I don't have any faith in that based off of everything you've just read and everything that we've already learned about the NFL referees. And it's being done because there there was an egregious call missed. Right. And it's also being done in an era now where this league, if you gave them truth serum and said, what's important to you? Would say, well, <laughs> offense is important, and offense is important, and offense is important, and offense is important, and yeah, defense too. Right, defense. So you're playing into, you're playing right into what this league wants. And so my guess is the first month or so, this is going to be a gong show. And if you're a Vikings fan, get ready to be very upset because uh, I, what is your team? The lifeblood <laughs> of your team is what defense, of course, and defensive back specifically, and defensive backs who have. Practice very hard at the at grabbing here and and now if you're a receiver going against uh, Trey Wayne's Xavier Rhodes, take your pick. Mm-hmm. You're you're now going to sell One that nudge and you're out as hard as possible. Yeah, it, it's it, to me it's going to be the exact same as last year was the first four weeks when there was the massive frenzy around hitting the quarterback and it caused the penalty. Saw it with Clay Matthews against Kirk Cousins in yeah. week two. We saw it really every week seemed to provide five different crazy examples where you'd look at it and say, in what world is that a clear late hit against the quarterback where the quarterback releases the ball and half a second later is getting pushed by whatever defensive lineman, whatever rushing linebacker, and it was an automatic first down in 15 yards and became the talk of the first four weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. I think the hope for the NFL is that those calls started to get toned down last year. It didn't become as big of an issue in week 16, but I think there's little doubt that this is going to be a major issue the first four or five weeks at least. Right, and the rule that you're talking about was a big deal for the first at least four weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Four it was or five a huge weeks. Deal. So, so, and I get tweets of like, "Oh, they'll figure it out." But okay, okay the season's not. This isn't baseball. Mm-hmm. If it's a big deal for four games, I got news. The math is that's a quarter of your season that games are decided on. Had it not that been for Clay the Matthews, Matthews call, was, was awful. Yep. It was all the Vikings lose that game if it hadn't how, been for that. And how can a billion dollar league write rules like this? My favorite was the the um landing on the quarterback. And basically <laughs> they're trying to say if sixty nine point eight percent of your body weight comes down on said quarterback, that's a penalty. But if it's sixty two point three, you're A okay. How do the how do we end up here. I think I realized what an awful situation it is for the referees when, and I don't know how long they've done this, but uh, in recent years, there are referees at every training camp session and they, you know, they're practicing too, they're getting ready and all of that and at some point early on, usually in training camp, the referees will have a meeting with all of the writers who are there, all the Vikings writers. You go into this, you know, big conference room, they pull up a bunch of plays. It's kind of a cool setting to talk off the record with the referees. They'll show you plays. Hey, this is how we're going to call things now. This was not a penalty last year, but this year it is going to be a penalty. It's a cool thing. And yet when they were trying to explain last year, well, you know, this one's not a penalty because as you can see, he kind of rolls off the quarterback and this one he's driving into the quarterback. And when you looked at it, they were coming down with the exact same amount of force oftentimes it seemed. And 
in the referees, you know, trying to explain this, it, it just made very little sense where it seemed as long as a defensive lineman, even after driving the quarterback to the ground, as long as they like put any effort into like roll, like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't actually hit him that hard. Then it wasn't a penalty. But if you pushed him a second after the ball came out, then all of a sudden it's 15 yards and an automatic first down. And you're supposed to like stop, drop and roll. Like you're on fire. <laughs> if you're getting to the quarterback, but you're supposed to take your weight off him. This is why too. I think the primary reason why we've seen a lot of veteran good officials quit is exactly what you just said. I think these poor guys look at this thing. And and my contention for about five years now is these people are paralyzed by the size of this rule book. Like how do you how are you supposed to do your job when you're when you are supposed to be you're all supposed to be looking for seventy four things or to your point about the weight on the quarterback. You're supposed to make a snap judgment of how much of the weight they right. I didn't the Clay Matthews play, which I think was a terrible call. I don't blame the officials there. They're just right. trying their best. But the league has put them in such a precarious position. That's why you've had what, at least in the last couple, three, two, three years, you've had some really good officials say, I'll go do TV. I can't I'm not gonna do this anymore. Make more money TV too. I don't blame the officials nearly as much as the NFL and, and just the way that the rules have come up. Even, you know, you mentioned the volume size of the rule book. The refs still know it, which is just an amazing accomplishment yeah. in itself that they still even know it. But then it's a whole nother thing to bring that onto the field, make these snap judgments, and especially in an era when you're slowing things down to a microsecond on TV. It's the same thing that hockey's dealt with, with offsides. And, you know, I think his skate kind of yeah, comes up a millimeter there. So that's yeah. offside. It's off the blue line. Right. So it's sort of the same thing that's coming over to the NFL now. And I think that the spirit of being able to review obvious defensive pass interference is a good thing. Mike Zimmer was one of the last people to come along to it when they were discussing this at the owners' meetings in Arizona. But I think Mike Zimmer had a good point, which was when there is an obvious, egregious, horrible call, let's not, what you know, it's 2019, let's be able to overturn that. But let's not, you know, be going down to every millisecond on a Hail Mary pass to see if there was any sort of pushing at all. And this is going to be essentially at the end of games, replay official by replay official and their judgment of egregious. Mm-hmm. Zim's head will blow off at some <laughs> point in time because this is going to get the Vikings. Yep. I bet it gets him within the first four weeks, and he is probably rightfully so going to go ballistic because his bread and butter basically is going to be challenged completely by the fact that the game has no interest in what Zim loves, which is defense. Which is one of the most fascinating storylines, I think, of the Vikings in general because – Mike Zimmer has answered questions about, you know, what it's like to be a head coach, a defensive head coach in an era where everything is trending to offense. He had the funny quote last year after the Chiefs played the Rams in that massively high scoring game where, you know, he was asked the next day, did you watch that? What'd you think? He's like, not my cup of tea. So he's had some funny moments where he's talked about it, but I do think that it's incredibly interesting and he has not talked about it at length. Just how difficult it must be to try to build a team the way that he wants to build it, which is by running the ball and winning low-scoring games because of a great defense in a league that continually is giving advantages to the offense and to wide receivers and to the passing game. In fact, that's a great tease. 
Let's come back and talk about that. The fact that the way that the Vikings want to build is a way that the National Football League as a whole has no interest in seeing them build in 2019. Zolgad, Chad Graff, Jonathan Harrison producing Purple Daily back after this. The show is Purple Daily. Matthew Collar out this week back on Monday today in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Zolgad, Chad Graff from The Athletic joining me until uh, 4 o'clock. And Chad, as we went to break, you brought up something that I've talked about before but I think is really interesting. And that uh, dates back to the fact that Zimmer was hired by Rick Spielman and this team at at a time when I think they finally decided um, Detroit's got Stafford. At the time, Chicago's got Cutler, if I'm not mistaken, still. Mm -hmm. And the Packers obviously have Aaron Rodgers. And so, you know, Rick couldn't find a quarterback, which has been a problem. Unfortunate times with Teddy, but he just can't find a quarterback. So he probably made a smart decision at that time, which is, if I can't find a quarterback, I'm going to try and stop the quarterbacks who are killing us right now. And he went out, and and I think Zim had had, what, six opportunities to in- interview at that time? Five or six? Five or six, and okay. plenty of them. For head coaching jobs, and he had never gotten one. Partially because he's very blunt, which is absolutely fine. And so he got the job, and he's done a nice job here. But it's 2019 now, and this league continues as, you know, they did today and have done for years now. This league uh, looks at that Rams-Chiefs Rams, uh, Rams Chiefs game and says, oh my gosh, let's get more of that. <laughs> and Zimmer's like, no! Um, but the rules continue to morph towards how can we get quarterbacks protected, which I get, and offenses to score as much as possible. So, that being said, what is your professional assessment of how the Vikings are built right now versus what the league wants. And does it become year by year by year, a more difficult proposition for them to be successful? Because as long as Mike is here, they will always start with defense. This is never going to start. If cousins is good, that's great. But nobody really is saying cousins has to be a hall of Fame quarterback. What's your assessment of where things stand with this team right now? Well, I, I mean, it's amazing that they bring in a Super Bowl winning quarterback in Gary Kubiak, and yet everybody still knows that the heart and soul of this team is the defense. And I think it gets marginally more difficult every year with every one of these, you know, rule placements that we just talked about with the defensive pass interference. It becomes that much more difficult to win as a team based on defense and not only to win as a team where defense is your strength because plenty of teams have done that new england you know for all that they have had with tom brady they have had some very good defenses especially in the years that um that they've been you know even better than there's some super bowls that were better the better teams than others bill belichick after all came from a defensive background that said to be a defensive team and a running team is a very difficult proposition if you are going to, you know, try to win a Super Bowl. The Baltimore Ravens tried it last year with, you know, some levels of success, almost won a playoff game. Granted, you know, they had Lamar Jackson as their quarterback, and of course he was not very good. Uh, but the league is trending one way, and the Vikings are trending hard the other way. And sometimes it is good, of course, to zig while others zag. However, there's a reason that everybody who has you know, come in contact and had a Bud Light with Sean McVay at the scouting combine now has a head coaching job. It's because that is what owners want and that's what general managers want. And by and large, that's what wins. And I think that I think for Mike, I like what Mike does. I also like the structure right now. I think the Kubiak thing was very smart and I, and I think he's probably being paid a ton and he, he deserves it. But I continue to say he is the head coach offense. Mm -hmm. Like I think this allows Mike, 
Nate Kading and the new special teams right. coordinator allow Mike to not worry about kickers. This is the closest that Mike Zimmer can get to being a defensive coordinator as a head coach. This is Nirvana for Mike because right. because Mike still is in charge on Saturday nights of getting up at the hotel right. before you know the He's day. still the head still coach gives a still speech. Yeah. But this is because and Mike has made it clear from the day that he set foot in this town that he does not want to coach the entire team. Norv Turner was hired because of that. It didn't work, but we all said, you're really going to hire, so so you've got no previous head coaching experience yourself, but you're going to hire a longtime coordinator slash head coach. Wow, that's impressive. You're confident. But it was because, and it was very clear from that day forward, I don't want to have to deal with this too much. And Norv didn't work. And Shermer worked Perfectly, and that was part of why Sherber was added to the staff. Like, hey, yes. things don't work out with Norv. I've got another guy exactly. who can step right in and do this, and that worked perfectly, basically. And then you know the flip thing was just a a, a miss. It just a miss. Yep. It was a bad hire. Yep. But this going into this season, I really do believe that if you were to sit Mike down with a bottle of of wine and say. What do you think he would say? This is perfection. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if it works, but it's still perfection. Yeah. He gets to not solely focus on the defense because he's very touchy about that and likes to make sure that he points out that he is occasionally not in offensive meetings and does recognize that Kirk Cousins is a player on his football team. But, <laughs> but he wishes he wasn't. And that's not true just Kirk. Every quarterback. Yeah. I think the man hates quarterbacks. Yeah, I just don't even know that he likes passing the ball that much, to be honest. I, I think... You know, if he could go back to playing with an I formation and a fullback mm-hmm. lead blocking for, you know, whoever his running back is, that's heaven. He's winning games seven to six. I mean, what, what could be better for Mike Zimmer? This, though, should allow him, like, I, I think that there's been some talk about is the defense a top five defense again? It's hard to be a top five defense year after year. A lot of the core pieces are getting older. Everson Griffin is getting older. Linval Joseph is getting older. Xavier Rhodes has trouble staying on the field all the time and even has Mike Zimmer at the owners' meetings calling him out and saying, you know, this guy has to be better. So there are slight reasons, I think, to be better or to be slightly worried about the defense. However, Mike Zimmer gets his undivided attention on the defense now. He'll again be calling defensive plays, which, you know, this will be one of the first seasons that he's not the only head coach in the NFL who's doing that. Now there are others. He's been the only one for years. Really? Yeah. So Atlanta's now doing it in a few other places. Okay. But this will be, uh, you know, this is a dream scenario. He's essentially got two offensive coordinators, or, you know, I think the more accurate way to do it is the way you put it, with Gary Kubiak being the head coach of the offense, Kevin Stavansky being the offensive coordinator under him. Yes. And then you not only have a special teams coordinator, but also a kicking coach. Uh, what else, what more can Mike Zimmer want? That's what, yeah, no, nothing. No, this is, this is perfection. What's your guess about Barr? How is Barr, is Barr going to be, because... There could not have been a soul on earth on on the last day of the season who thought that he was going to come back here. Do you think that they morph his role and change it, or do you think that he essentially comes back in in, in the exact same role, which I would argue on a week-to-week basis, I would like to see more. There are times where he looks very good, and, mm-hmm. and he is a good player, and he is uh, he's gifted in some ways athletically, but... Does this change when when he came back? When he when they said we thought that we were going to have his cap room and now we don't. 
you think there was a conversation with Mike about, okay, he can come back and we're happy to have him back, but we got to get more? Or do you think Mike said, no, you know what? He's coming back as Anthony Barr and nothing changes. I think Anthony Barr probably had some questions about his role coming back because as he entered free agency, everybody's talking about, wow, look at this pass rusher that's hitting the market. This is all the rave on defense. You need a pass rusher just like this guy. And yes, you know, he prototypically is a pass rusher. But when you look at what he had done the last couple of years for all of the responsibilities that Mike Zimmer gave him, he was not as much of a pass rusher as he was his first couple of seasons. Rookie season, four sacks. His second season, three and a half sacks. He hasn't hit either of those numbers in the three years since. Rookie season, seven quarterbacks, seven quarterback hits. Next season, eight quarterback hits. Hasn't hit either of those since. So four quarterback hits last season. Three sacks, won the season before that. Hasn't been much of a pass rusher. You know, when it seemed like he was going to New York, there was lots of talk about here is the pass rusher that New York needs. This guy's going to be perfect for the Jets. I'm, I, I would have to think that when he came back, not only was he coming back to remain with Mike Zimmer and the system that he knows and all of that good stuff, but also because he talked to Mike Zimmer and said, pass rushers get paid. I, the pass rushers have the glorified role. This is what New York will give me. I need to be able to get after the quarterback a little bit more. And he should be able to. Yeah, like, of course. That, He's that's got my, the tools. That's the one thing I've never completely got about him is why why they don't. And I, I think it was in training camp last year that he, he lined up more on the line, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Worked a lot with and the defensive all, line. And we all thought at that point in time, okay, this is going to be going into the last year of his contract at that time. This is going to be the year that we finally see him unleashed as sort of a hybrid Jason Taylor type of player. And yet the season started and, and I, you know, I do think Mike's weird because Zimmer adapts and adjusts and I give him a credit for that in some ways, but not always, if that makes sense. Like with Barr, with Barr, he, he uses them differently at times, but there have been times where we thought, okay, now you turn him loose and he doesn't do it. But that's not to say that he is is stuck in his ways because if Mike sees teams and they do this catching on to what he does defensively, he will adjust things. Sure, he so did at the end of last season. He's adaptable. Season. Yep. But with Barr, I always thought we're going to see more now, and I don't know that we've ever really seen that. Well, and it's amazing too because of how much Mike Zimmer loves him, and this is you know the first draft pick and the guy that Mike always talks about as you know so happy to get a linebacker with the first pick, oh, happy to mold him. Absolutely, they've been one A and one B together for since they've been here, and yet Anthony Bard, you know, he he's just been a good solid linebacker, above average, good player, not the kind of guy that you thought was going to get the kind of money that. Uh, he was going to get from the New York Jets, but I think that's also because the New York Jets looked at him and said, you know, he's a good player, but we think that we can get even more out of him by having him rush the passer. The story that he supposedly uh, threw up as he was about to sign that contract with the Jets is one of my favorites, though. The story that he supposedly... The one was of waking in, up in the middle yes, of the night and in, his room, in tears. And, in te- yes. Yeah, that that's outstanding. And I don't blame him one bit because it's the Jets. Now, if, if that had been the Giants, the Giants are goofed up. But you know what? I probably would have gone and said, all right, the Giants are goofed up, but I got some faith here. But with the Jets, <laughs> I don't blame him one bit with that. If that was your primary suitor, I can't blame Anthony Barr at all for saying, ah, man, I can't do this. I don't want to. I The only thing that surprised me about that, uh, Chad Graff, with how cash uh, salary cap strapped the Vikings were, I thought that the, because a team like the Patriots would have said, Sorry, but we can't do it. Right, and the fact that the Vikings said no, come back, which I'm not. I'm not even saying was a mistake, but 
that's the one thing that surprised me because that was where I think they believed that if they, they were going to have some room to work with, which clearly they did not, right. that would be where it would have come from. That was where it was going to come from. And I got to think that was more Mike Zimmer than Rick Spielman for all of the reasons that we just mentioned. But it is so funny to think about not being able to sleep, throwing up, crying, going through all of the emotions as you're thinking about going to the New York Jets, which also, I guess, is more of the reason that assistant general manager George Payton has turned down the Jets three, four times now. Every single time they come call. And this is a guy who still wants a GM job. Does he want one? He wants a GM job. Okay, I can't. He's never... talked to his friends around the league about, you know, he as recently as this most recent time that the Jets have their GM opening, they come calling to him. He says, you know, no, no, thank you. He, they have an awful situation where the head coach is basically the guy running the show, whoever this new GM is, who, you know, they of course announced is Douglas from Philadelphia. But yep. at this point in time, he's thinking, whoever this is, it's a really rotten situation for them. And then he says, no, they come calling back again after they interview Douglas and a bunch of candidates say, hey, you know, we're really serious. We'll give you even more money. He calls around to his friends around the league, says, I do want to be a GM someday. I really do. I just don't know if this is the right fit. And they're all like, are you out of your mind? Of course it's not the right fit. What are you talking about? It's the New York Jets. But, man, going back to the time when I covered the Vikings for the Star Tribune, George was being talked about, I think, at that time. I want to say the 49ers. He's had, there mm-hmm. have been, now I, I don't know if he, he's been offered jobs or just opportunity to interview for jobs. But he's been on people's radar for at least, what, 10 years now? Yeah. It's been a long time. So that was my question. Does he want the job? Because at some point in time, I thought maybe he's just happy being right. Rick's guy here. And when, when if Rick gets fired eventually or leaves and they like George, they might give George the job here. So, yeah, interesting. I, he definitely wants a GM job. And as enticing as it oh, would be Jets, to work I with Sam Darnold, no. forget about the I'm Jets. I'm not taking the Jets. All right. Hour one is done of uh, Purple Daily. Hour two, though, coming up. And yes, it's time for Hot Routes Zolgad, Chad Graff, Jonathan Harrison back after this. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 